Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Adrian Barnard in the UK. And on this week's show, we zoom in on women's football. The first round qualifiers for the 2018 Women's Africa Cup of Nations are on at the moment, with 24 teams competing to be among the eight sides at the finals in Ghana later this year. We hear from the Gambia, with the country taking part in the qualifiers for the first time. It's very important um, to work hard so that like, what we're working for will achieve it. Uh, because like, um, determination today means success tomorrow. Also we ask what's gone wrong this season with Chelsea, the defending English Premier League champions. And in Stewart's series marking 25 years of the English Premier League, he highlights the diminishing importance of fans at the stadiums. And another group, the Coalition of Football Supporters, was more blunt saying the soul of football has been destroyed by money-hungry clubs. That's coming later. So our main focus this week is women's football. The first round qualifiers for the 2018 Africa Women's Cup of Nations began last Wednesday. The games are on up to this coming Tuesday. There's a second round and the winners of those ties go into the finals in Ghana in November. Eight teams will play at the finals. There are first round buys for the top four ranked nations. That's the 2016 champions Nigeria, the runners-up Cameroon and South Africa who reached the semi-finals in 2016. Two-time champions Equatorial Guinea also have a bye. Altogether, there are 24 teams taking part in the qualifiers. The first-round ties include Kenya against Uganda, Tanzania's Taifa Queens playing Zambia's Shi Polo Polo, Namibia take on Zimbabwe, Morocco play Ivory Coast in a tough-looking tie. Well, the Gambia are in the qualifiers for the first time. They play Burkina Faso. The first leg is in Ouagadougou on Saturday and the return leg on Tuesday. Planet Sport Football Africa's Mamadou Ba spoke to Gambia striker Ajara Samba on being part of a history-making team. I feel very happy and it's a pleasure to me being part of the first Gambia female national team that is going to be that is going to take part in the Afghan qualifiers. So um, as a striker of the team, um, it's very important um, to work hard so that like what we're working for will achieve it. Uh, because like um, determination today means success tomorrow. So like I feel very glad to be part of the team because like it's a honor and it is something that I'm going to keep in me in the future that I can say that I am, I was part of the first um, female national team that's participated in the Afghan qualifiers. Coming back, you have a Herculean task in front of you playing against Burkina Faso. If you qualify, you'll have uh, the defending champions Nigeria. How prepared is this team? Our team is well prepared and for sure we're going to make it inshallah. So the team is well prepared physically and mentally and we're sure that we're going to make it inshallah. We're going to win both um, the away game and the home game before the next round. How is the chemistry in the camp? Uh, the players, we all close. We all close together, regardless of like um, the clubs that we're coming from. Because like uh, we're coming from different teams, but it doesn't mean that when we come here, we should be separated. It's a national thing. So when we come here, we should be one. 
because like we are all representing our country. That's Gambia striker Ajara Samba. And Mamadouba also spoke to the Gambia's coach, Mariama So. If the Gambia make it to the second round, they'll face Nigeria, Africa's most successful women's team ever. And So says they're looking forward to meeting these Super Falcons. Yeah, of course, Nigeria, as we all know, is a footballing nation. If you talk about Nigeria, definitely we all know what Nigeria is capable of doing in football. But as at now, we are concentrating in uh, Burkina game because my girls, in, in fact, uh, they don't think about Burkina. They always think about Nigeria. Uh, there was one time after today, I addressed them, I said, hey, let's focus on Burkina. We play in Burkina. So it's better you focus uh, on Burkina Faso game than the Nigerian game. And uh, what they normally tell me is, uh, even with Nigeria, we are going to win them. So I know they have this confidence that they are not scared of Nigeria. And any day we are playing Nigeria, come and see, you'll see a very big difference. We, to play Burkina, is, it, it would not be a problem. But Nigeria, they are hurry of uh, facing Nigeria than Burkina Faso. So they really have this confidence that they will uh, defeat Nigeria if God wills. What does this mean um, for Gambians um, women's football participating for the first time in the qualifiers? Yeah, definitely. Um, I will say thanks and bravo to GFA for registering this team because it has never happened since after Azerbaijan uh, when we came. Uh, that was 2012. To date, we have never participated in any competition. So this is first of its kind uh, that we are giving this chance and opportunity to play. And I'm 100% sure uh, these girls are going to prove the whole nation that uh, we can do it. And I know with the help of the Almighty God, they will do something if God wills. That's Mariama So, the coach of the Gambia's national women's football team. And when she was referring there to Azerbaijan, that was the 2012 Under-17 Women's World Cup, which the Gambia played at in Azerbaijan. Uh, so, Solomon, good to see the Gambia in the Africa Women's Cup of Nations senior qualifiers for the first time. For me, it's just a case of a country who has a lot of motivation. There is no as major sponsors and resources plow into uh, women's football. But at the same time, it's a country with a lot of young people with so much passion. And they're really motivated to just keep participating. It just shows the motivation and the passion that a lot of young girls do carry. And this is definitely going to uh, encourage uh, the next generation of girls coming in and, and playing uh, you know, football. For the Gambia, again, uh, this is a huge uh, step forward. You know, if the Gambia could, you know, do with little resources and keep participating in the qualifiers, very soon we're going to see them, uh, you know, hopefully qualifying soon and and also developing quite a lot of, uh, uh, you know, players that will come through the system. Sure, so exciting for the Gambia. On the other hand, only 24 teams are in the Women's Nations Cup qualifiers. There are 54 nations in CAF, so more than half of the countries in Africa didn't enter these qualifiers. Uh, So, Solomon, what does that say about how serious Africa is about women's football? 
the conclusion for me is I don't think Africa is really serious about uh, women's football, uh, especially the Confederation of Africa football. Now we have a new Confederation of Africa football leadership, so hopefully things are going to change because I know even FIFA gives money to a certain budget to uh, develop women's football. Uh, but also we have to look at you know different individual uh, nations, the football associations. Uh, you know, recently in Nigeria, uh, we, we've seen how the women were complaining. In spite of being a top team in the world, the women are complaining, you know, just inactivity for, for such a long time. Uh, so those are some of the problems that we face. But just 24 teams out of uh, a possible 54 nations that are members of CAV, uh, just, you know, lower than half that membership uh, is is really sad you know we have to get to a place where we will begin to see a lot of more you know nations participating no matter how small a nation a nation you are you know we have to see nations like like gabon more nations like sudan angola mozambique we, we need to see those nations because if you look at the men's football there's a lot of encouragement and sponsorship and development uh, and we have to move the emphasis you know from from just men's football and really encourage women's football we have to give women's football uh, some sort of media coverage just so you know people would be aware of it we have to encourage sponsors to to get on board and support women's football we have to ask the government to really get involved and and we really also have to see get a read of our our cultural and religious mindset in some cases where we don't allow women uh, to get involved in sports that way we're gonna uh, see young girls coming through talented young girls coming through and hopefully we're gonna see more nations uh, you know, getting involved in, in, in qualifiers, more nations putting together, uh, you know, national teams and, and playing across the continent of Africa. That's the way for me uh, to be able to push and really, uh, uh, you know, encourage more, more nations uh, in, 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 in participating in football across the continent. Well, thanks, Solomon. And you can have your say on this on social media this week. Is Africa serious enough about women's football? Only 24 teams competing to be among the eight teams in the finals of the Africa Women's Cup of Nations. Uh, So what does this say about how serious Africa is about the women's game? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com. You can follow us on Twitter at PlanetSportFA. Well, uh, what a week it was in the UEFA Champions League with Cristiano Ronaldo scoring one of the greatest goals of all time for Real Madrid in their 3-0 win away to Juventus with a simply stunning overhead kick. Incredible that from Ronaldo, so much so that the Juventus fans gave warm applause even though his goals probably will see them being knocked out of the Champions League. And Ronaldo made history with the first of his two goals becoming the first player to score in 10 consecutive 
consecutive Champions League games. Ronaldo's now scored 16 goals in his past 10 Champions League games. That's 14 this season and two in last year's final against Juventus. And in his last nine games for Real Madrid in all competitions, he scored an amazing 19 goals. Well, Lionel Messi didn't reach the same heights in Barcelona's 4-1 win over Roma on Wednesday. Remember, Messi last weekend came on and drove Barca to a 2-2 draw against Sevilla to help them keep their unbeaten record in La Liga. Barcelona still on, by the way, for the treble of the Champions League, La Liga and the Copa del Rey. And then what a game in the Champions League on Wednesday with Liverpool beating Manchester City 3-0. Superb attacking play from the Reds saw them leading 3-0 after 31 minutes. Egypt's Mohamed Salah, Senegal's Sadio Mane and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain scoring. I must say I was impressed with Liverpool's defending in the second half. And we know that they can score big but often concede as well. But they managed to keep a clean sheet this time. Although you have to feel nonetheless that it's not over. The second leg on Tuesday and Man City still could be in with a chance. Well, Salah went off with a groin injury in that game against Manchester City, so we'll have to see if he's able to play this Saturday against Everton in the English Premier League, and indeed if he'll make it for the second leg of the Champions League tie against Man City on Tuesday. Last weekend in the Premier League, Salah equaled Didier Drogba's African record of 29 goals in a Premier League season as he scored the winner in Liverpool's 2-1 win away to Crystal Palace. Salah has six more games to add to that total, depending of course on his fitness. So let's focus on the English Premier League now. Stuart Weir is away at the Commonwealth Games in Australia, though we will hear from Stuart later on with the third part of his series on 25 years of the English Premier League. But Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard joins us from the UK now. And Adrian, we're really at the business end of the Premier League and Man City will be crowned champions this Saturday with five games to spare if they can beat Manchester United. (laughs) You couldn't have written the script, could you, Steve? As you say, City will win the title with a remarkable five games to spare if they beat their fierce local rivals Manchester United in Saturday's evening fixture. And many people, of course, are asking if this Manchester City side is the best team the Premier League has ever seen. Well, these statistics speak for themselves. Up until now, Manchester United hold the record for winning the title in the earliest time. That was on the 14th of April 2001. But City will beat that if they win on Saturday, which is the 7th of April. And judging by the way that City have played so far this season, several other records are set to fall by the time the season ends. For example, Chelsea currently hold the record for the most number of points, with 95 in the 2004-05 season. Or City already have 84, and could achieve 105 points if they win all of their remaining games. Chelsea also hold the record for the most number of wins in a season, with 30 in 2016-17. Or City already have 27, and could reach 34. And one record they'd love to break is the biggest title-winning margin of 18 points. That's currently held by their great rivals, Manchester United, back in 1999-2000. Well, City currently lead by 16 points, and with seven games to play, they're on course to beat that. It really has been a truly remarkable effort by Pep Guardiola and his team, Steve. And to win the title by beating United on Saturday, well, that would really be the icing on the cake. Yes, sure. And uh, then to focus on setting those new records. 
And Adrian, a significant defeat for Chelsea last Sunday, losing 3-1 to Tottenham. Uh, Surely their manager Antonio Conte must be on his way out. Well, yes, Steve, I can't but agree with you really there. If you look at that fixture, it was so important. Chelsea needed to try and close the gap on Tottenham. But as it was, two goals from England's Deli Alley brought Tottenham their first win at Chelsea since 1990, going back all those years. And it really was significant because we look now at the gap between Spurs and Chelsea in the table. Tottenham are fourth, that fourth Champions League spot they're currently occupying with 64 points, and Chelsea are eight points behind, both teams having seven games left to play. So it looks as if Chelsea are going to be struggling to reach that final Champions League place, and with the great expectations that the management and the leadership at Stamford Bridge have for the team, it does look as if Conte is going to be on the way out, especially as Chelsea won the league last year. So, Adrian, what could be the reason for Chelsea's decline this season? Because Conte did so well with them winning the title last season. So what's gone wrong? Well, Steve, it could be argued. And in fact, Chelsea have found their correct and proper level. Last year, they won the title, of course, but they came into last season on the back of not qualifying for the Champions League. So their fiercest rivals last year were all engaged in the Champions League, had more fixtures, tougher matches. Chelsea had a clear run on the Premier League and were able to assert their authority. Let's just look at some of the statistics as well. Last year, Chelsea won 30 out of their 38 fixtures and lost only five. But this year, they've been involved in the Champions League and so far they have lost nine out of their 31 games, only winning 17. You've also got the aspect as well of chief coach Antonio Conte, who some people think is a bit of a moaner. He said that Chelsea's 3-0 defeat to Barcelona in the Champions League was unfair. He's also implied that the board have not given him enough money to invest in new players in the transfer market. So you've got that little bit of uncertainty and some of the fans and some of the players perhaps as well don't have full confidence in Conte. So I think last year, when they won the title, they had a clear run, no interruptions or interference from the Champions League. This year they've had both, and it's been too much of a struggle for them. Right, yeah, that makes sense. And we've been keeping an eye on the managers being fired in the English Premier League this season. Uh, The record of 10 managers parting ways with their clubs in a single season has been equaled with West Brom firing Alan Pardew. Well, Steve, you really have to feel for the West Bromwich Albion fans, don't you? It's been an absolutely miserable season. Former coach Tony Poulis was sacked earlier in the year and then they appointed Alan Pardew. Under him, West Brom won just once in 18 league games and only took eight points from a possible 54. It's been an absolute nightmare for them. And where do they turn now? Well, in the short term, they have turned to a former player, Darren Moore, until the end of the season. He's their caretaker manager. But it seems the board are already trying to build for next season as if they have accepted that relegation is just a foregone certainty. And if that's their opinion, I have to say I would agree with them. So Alan Pardew, not having had a good time at all at West Bromwich Albion and joining the long line of managers and coaches who had lost their jobs in the English Premier League this season. Yes, a sad season for West Brom. Uh, Their stay in the English Premier League looks to be all but over. Thanks a lot to Adrian Barnard in the UK. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, we turn to social media. 
And last week we looked at how Africa's World Cup representatives had been getting on in their recent two rounds of friendly matches. The five teams had mixed results because Tunisia and Morocco both had two wins out of two, and Nigeria chalked up a great one-nil win away to Poland, but then lost two-nil to Serbia in London. Senegal had draws with Uzbekistan and Bosnia and Herzegovina, while Egypt lost to Portugal and to Greece. So we asked, how do you feel the African teams are shaping up for the World Cup? On Facebook first, and Nafi WG in Malawi says, I think all African teams can do better in Russia at the World Cup because when they lost in their friendly games, that will help them to work on their teams before going to the World Cup. Turai Modusa in the Gambia says it'll be an interesting World Cup. I can't predict how the African teams will perform, as these were only test games. But I tip Morocco and Egypt to go far, says Modu. And Abrima Kale, also in the Gambia, agrees that we can't read too much into friendlies. These were only test games, but I'm sure they can do it, says Abrima. I have hope in Nigeria and Senegal. To what's up now? And Kitenga Ija Godfrey Allen in Uganda is not optimistic. I don't have much hope in African teams come June this year in Russia, says Kitenga Ija. The biggest disappointment will come from Egypt, which has got only one world-class player in Mo Salah, who's playing alongside mediocre players. I don't think there'll be any African country going beyond the group stage. Ebrima Cham in the Gambia agrees. Judging from the performances of our African World Cup participants in the warm-up friendlies, it's not impressive at all, says Ebrima. If there's no improvement in the next three months, I don't think we'll have any one African team in the round of 16 or a quarter-finalist among them. But anyway, says Ebrima, good luck to our African teams. Paul Bello in Malawi also agrees, saying, "I'm wishing the African teams good luck, but I'm afraid about the way their preparations are going. But I'm very hopeful that some teams will do well despite poor preparation," says Paul. Dembo Manjang is in the Gambia. Yes, remember this is all about friendly matches, says Dembo. It isn't easy to predict what will happen in Russia. I think the results are not too bad, but there is a need for adjustment. To Sierra Leone now, and Desmond Tunde Koka says, "I know the teams only have a small amount of time in which they need one or two more friendlies to keep them fit ahead of the World Cup in June, but they're pretty much doing well as of now. We just hope they'll make us proud," says Desmond. We always welcome your voice notes on WhatsApp. But here's Mahari Cham in the Gambia. Yeah, I feel they're shaping up in the best possible way they should before heading to Russia, because. During their involvement in this international break, we saw the five representatives. We saw them bringing on many new faces, many players trying to give each a chance before having their final 23, and that's a good thing. That shows that they're really working towards Russia. And no disrespect to Senegal and Nigeria, but I believe the North Africans will do us really well this time. I'm not sidelining the, the Nigerians and the Senegal side, but I see the North Africans doing us really well in this tournament. Well, thanks. That's the thoughts of Mahari Cham in the Gambia. Daniel in Ghana says the preparation hasn't been easy for the African teams. Most of their players play for different clubs in different countries and continents. They only get time to play with each other just for a short few possible hours. However, says Daniel, I believe the time is not gone. We can still prepare very well to showcase what we've got. 
Khalifa Sanyang in China is even more positive. With the teams we have in the competition, I feel this is going to be a very good World Cup for Africa, says Khalifa. I can see two or three African teams making it to the semi-finals. Well, that's a quite some optimism there. Uh, to the Ivory Coast, Clement is also sounding very positive. Obviously, I think the African teams at the World Cup have very good and talented players who are performing so well in their respective clubs, says Clement. The likes of Tunisia and Morocco have the best leagues in Africa, and so this motivates them well and has reflected in their recent friendlies. I must say, Morocco and Tunisia are shaping up tremendously well, but Senegal are underperforming, and Nigeria were doing well, but then unfortunately lost to Serbia. In Sierra Leone, Jesse Rando has high hopes for the African teams. I think they're shaping their teams in a very good manner, says Jesse. If they continue like this, believe me, they will surprise the world of football in Russia. Meanwhile, Stanley in Ghana says it was a tough international break for some teams in Africa, especially Egypt. The African countries, with what they showed, will have to improve their performance and see to it that they will not flop at the World Cup. And finally, Jimmy James Perezi in Uganda says, "As Africans, we must have representatives at the World Cup, but we mustn't have too high expectations. Our teams are shaping up well, but we must support them to the maximum." Says Jimmy. Well, thanks so much for all of those views. Always great to hear from you on social media. This week, we're asking: Is Africa serious enough about women's football? As we heard earlier, the first-round qualifiers for the 2018 Women's Africa Cup of Nations are on at the moment. 24 teams competing to be among the eight teams at the finals in Ghana, but there are 54 nations in CAF, meaning more than half of the countries in Africa didn't enter these qualifiers. So, what does that say about how serious Africa is about women's football? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, finally, on the show this week, as the English Premier League marks its 25th season, Stuart has put together for us a series on how the Premier League has grabbed the attention of the world, growing further and further as the most followed league around Africa and the entire globe. This week, Stuart looks at how fans at the stadiums are becoming less important in the financial equation. Remember the days when all weekend first division games kicked off at 3 p.m. Now, in a typical weekend, you might have a Friday night game, a Saturday lunchtime game, a Saturday tea time game, two or three Sunday afternoon games, and a Monday night game as well. If you're very lucky, as a couple of games on Saturday afternoon. The respected English football writer Henry Winter recently wrote in the London Times that the plan for Saturday evening games, finishing after the last train home for many people. Showed that the Premier League was clearly less interested in the fan in the stadium supporting his or her team through thick and thin than it was in somebody watching in a bar in Bangkok or Lagos. Winter called it a parable of modern English football about greed and the myopia of a game focusing more on money than fans. The economic reality has changed. In 1992, clubs were gaining half their income from gate receipts. Now it's 
And one could add, too, that clubs these days are probably more keen to sell a seat as part of a hospitality package, which can be anything from 250 to $800 per person, than merely $40 for a seat in the stand. Fans, too, have traditionally prided themselves on their home ground being central to their heritage and identity. Thus, a move to a new stadium called by a sponsor's name, be it the Emirates, the Etihad, the King Power, Vitality, Amex, etc., can seem to them like a betrayal of all that heritage. Supporters' clubs have made their feelings known. One group, called the Spirit of Shankly, named after the legendary Liverpool manager, said, As a national football supporters movement, we say to the corporate sponsors, Now is the time for you to put your money where your mouth is. You have to decide if you're going to side with the billionaire football club owners and the millionaire players, or with everyday supporters like us. Surely we are the people your sponsorship is intended to turn into your customers. What they're saying is, if sponsorship of football is about getting more customers for your business, then you have to think about the priority of the fans, not the owners. And another group, the Coalition of Football Supporters, was more blunt, saying the soul of football has been destroyed by money-hungry clubs. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, Certainly the big money has changed things in the English Premier League. At the same time, most clubs in Africa still rely on gate takings and would love to get some of those lucrative deals that would bring financial stability, just like those clubs in England and elsewhere in Europe. Next week in this series, Stuart looks at the celebrity status of players in the Premier League. Well, that's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Stuart Weir, who's currently in Australia, from Adrian Barnard in the UK and Solomon Ashoms in South Africa. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.